Businesses thrive by knowing customer insights because today's insights are tomorrow's facts. At iResearch, we live and breathe insights. And despite searching high and low, we were unable to find a customer insights podcast that answers one of the most important questions in business. Why do customers do what they do? So we launched one. Hi, I'm your host, Darshan Mehta. Today I'm speaking with Robert Spector, who has been involved in customer service since the age of 13. When he started working at his family butcher shop, Spector's Meat Market in New Jersey. Robert has been a speaker on the Nordstrom Way to customer service for over 25 years. He is a best-selling author and journalist for over 50 years. He has written 27 books, most notably The Nordstrom Way, Amazon, Get Big Fast, The Mom and Pop Store, and he's going to tell us about his upcoming book as well. Welcome, Robert. How are you? Thank you, Darshan. Happy to be here. So I want to hear about your journey as to, uh, you know, starting out as a 13-year-old, and then how did you make the path to the connection with Nordstrom? And tell us about some of the pivotal moments and epiphanies you've had along the way. Okay. Well, I, I started out, as you mentioned, uh, at the age of uh, 13, working in my family butcher shop. It was a typical immigrant family business, started by my grandfather, my father, my uncle, and numerous cousins, and we had a couple of outside um, employees as well. But, you know, for anyone who grew up in, in a immigrant mom and pop business, it's labor intensive, and it's a good way for relatives to get a job if English is not their first language. Um, my father was from um, Ukraine, very timely uh, these, these days, and, and most of his customers were Eastern European immigrants like himself, and he would carry ethnic specialty foods, but he could also uh, sell his wares in Ukrainian and Russian and various Slavic languages. And, and I, I, I observed him uh, doing it. Uh, I was not a big fan of working in the market. It was outside. It was uh, cold in New Jersey in the winter and hot in the summer. And Saturday was our big day, and I wanted to be playing with my friends. So uh, fast forward, uh, I be, well, I eventually became a journalist, and we can get into that uh, later, obviously. But I wrote for trade newspapers and wrote a lot about retail, and then I had an opportunity to write a book on Nordstrom, uh, which uh, turned out to be the Nordstrom way, and it completely changed my life. But I, and I became a speaker, and while I was uh, speaking to audiences, I started to reflect back on the kind of customer service that my father gave. And these were all lessons I learned when I didn't think I had been paying attention. And it was you know, having uh, the right product at the right time, uh, being an honest person, um, giving good good value, and give the customers what they want. Because we had uh, customers from various uh, ethnic groups, we would carry their delicacies, whether it was head cheese or brains or wh wh whatever. And um, my father was able to um, have a very successful uh, business out of this and retire at age 65 and never look back. So when I would be speaking to companies like uh, Pfizer or Dell or Charles Schwab, I would tell these st some stories about my father. And I would say, surely if this immigrant with an education could figure out customer service, surely all the brilliant PhDs and MBAs in this audience could figure it out too. 
And people would come up to me afterward and say, I love those stories about your father because they weren't corporate BS. They were a farmer's market in New Jersey. This was ground zero of learning about customer service. So that was really my first exposure to this whole customer service thing. And how did you end up connecting with Nordstrom and how has that relationship changed and evolved over the years? Yeah, well, I had been a, a trade journalist for uh, Women's Wear Daily and other uh, newspapers owned by what was then called Fairchild Publications. So I had worked for them in New York uh, earlier in my career. And when I came to uh, Seattle, uh, I was the correspondent for all of these papers. So I wrote a lot about retail and uh, there were some brand new companies that were starting to uh, uh, to make the, their, themselves known in, uh, in the world. There's a little coffee company called Starbucks, uh, which uh, you know very few people had heard of it. At that time, Starbucks was so small. I did an article for Home Furnishings uh, Daily. And I said, you know, there's this coffee company here that sells a lot of espresso machines and uh, coffee grinders. I think that they're worth a story. So Starbucks was so small at that time. Howard Schultz himself met me at one of their stores to talk about the number of SKUs they were moving on uh, uh, espresso machines and coffee grinders. And I later wrote a, a book, Corporate History of a Department Store in Seattle called Frederick and Nelson, which was owned by Marshall Field. And it was a, a traditional department store. And in fact, the building where Nordstrom is in, in downtown Seattle now used to be the Frederick and Nelson building. Then I was contacted by a literary agent in 1990, August 2nd, 1990, uh, my mother's birthday and the day Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait, to give you a little historical context there. And it was literary agent in Seattle, Elizabeth Wells, whose next door neighbor was a Nordstrom salesman named Pat McCarthy, who had been number one 15 years in a row and uh, sold men's suits in the downtown Seattle store, outfitted entire law firms and accounting firms. And the Seattle Times had just done an article about him. So the original idea was I was going to ghostwrite a book about him. It was going to be kind of a reverse Iacocca. For those people in your audience who remember Lee Iacocca, who was a very famous uh, CEO of Chrysler and, and became a kind of a media celebrity and wrote a best-selling book called Iacocca. Uh, so... Our book was going to be from the sales floor up, not from the boardroom down. And uh, I got together with Pat, wrote a, an extensive uh, proposal, 10,000 words. We shopped it around to publishers. They were more interested in Nordstrom corporately than they were in this particular employee. So it went through a metamorphosis where it became my book. I was able to get the Nordstrom family, then the third generation, to cooperate with me. And five years after that phone call, Five years, that book came out, and it became a bestseller and changed my life. Wow. That's quite a story. And I think you've uh, deepened your relationships uh, further with the uh, family and the company since then, right? Yeah. Well, you know, at that time, now, you know, for those people who are not completely familiar with Nordstrom, they're 121 years old. They've been a publicly traded company since 1971. So over 50 years as a publicly traded company. But there are still Nordstrom's running Nordstrom, currently the second generation. There were three brothers running it. Unfortunately, one passed away a couple of years ago. Um, and they, they're they are both on the, on the board. And the fact that there are still Nordstrom's running Nordstrom is the single biggest competitive advantage that they have. 
Now, the, the fellows who run it now, uh, uh, Eric and Pete Nordstrom, like their brothers, like their father and grandfather and uncles and cousins, all started out like when they were 12 years old, breaking down shoe boxes and working for the, for the company, third assistant children's shoe buyer. And they were not crown princes. They didn't, it isn't like, uh, well, you, you got your MBA, there's your corner office. That would be completely un-Nordstrom. You've got to work for it. You've got to earn it. And over the years, as you said, I've developed a, a very fortunate, a close relationship with the company and the family. Um, Bruce Nordstrom, who's the father of the, uh, the, the two fellows running the company now, I helped him with his memoir a few years ago. We recently did an update. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I count myself very fortunate to have the trust uh, of the Nordstrom family. You know, what's amazing is not only has the company survived for 120 years, but they've been able to pass on this way of business through generation, which is not an easy task to do. How have they accomplished that? Well, yeah, not only is it not easy, it's almost impossible. Uh, and well, the, the fact that as I, I alluded to, everyone starts out on the floor. Now, there are a lot of Nordstroms. Uh, there are many, many Nordstroms who are not involved with the, with the uh, uh, company. But if everybody had the opportunity. You know, shoes have always been a big thing with Nordstrom because they were strictly a shoe store for their first 65 years of their existence. The shoehorn, go out on the floor, sell shoes. Let's see how you can do. And if you like it, Fine. If you don't like it, that's okay too. And so the, the ones who who like it really understand the culture, and they know that they are the keepers of the culture. And and as uh, one of the guys in the fourth generation, Pete, one of the two guys who are running it now, it says, you know, we don't want to screw this thing up. So there is this enormous family pride. Their name is is, is on the front door. You know, it's on the front of the building. Um, so there, there, there is that desire to make sure that this is a sustainable organization. It has been. The fellows now running it are in their late 50s. There's one Nordstrom in the fifth generation um, who is, is working for the company. But there are uh, many, there is an executive team of non-Nordstroms, but people who have worked there 20, 30 years who have who carry that culture with them, and you know, anytime I, I hear rumblings uh, that maybe Nordstrom will be bought out, there was a rumor a couple of years ago maybe Amazon would would buy them, and I've always said if somebody bought Nordstrom, they'd be buying the assets, the physical assets, they'd be buying the real estate, they'd be buying the merchandise, but they wouldn't be buying Nordstrom. Nordstrom would be would be over, if if an outside company bought them because they wouldn't understand the culture. And you look at, at, at your expenses for the for companies that still have a lot of brick and mortar stores. What's your biggest expense? It's labor. Well, I, I know how to get profitable. You know, we've got 10 people in that department. Now we have seven people in that department. Woo, aren't I a genius? You know, I just uh, saved you all that money. But again, the culture, culture uberalis, it is the culture. They're not, they're, they'll be the first to tell you, they're not selling anything that you can't get somewhere else and if it's lesser made at, at, at a cheaper price. And so what can we do to entice you to buy our stuff? 
So it's the culture that, that empowers people to build relationships. And it's relationships not only when you walk into the store, it's relationships via our, our, our social media. You know, so they give salespeople all the, the uh, technology that they need to enhance that relationship with the customer. So it's always asking what's next. Interesting. So let's talk about the Nordstrom way to customer service. That's something you've been talking about for 25 years. What are the fundamental elements that make Nordstrom's way unique and different, and how has it evolved over the years? Well, you know, I, I, I'm going to start to sound boring and repetitious. So, <laughs> uh, so you know, again, you know, starting start with, with with the idea that it's the customer. You know, we are here to serve the customer, not the other way around. So, how can we make our offering enticing? for the customer to want to do business with us. And first of all, it's having the right product and the right style and the right color, the right size at the right time. That's certainly important. You have to have, you have to sell the, the goods. And if people are still coming into the store and, and, and they are, it's developing a, a relationship with a salesperson. So salespeople are empowered, and we can get into empowerment later, are empowered to build their own business, to be a franchise within a franchise. Because all salespeople at Nordstrom on the floor are on commission. They're all salaried employees. They work, they work for the company. They're, they aren't independent. But where they make their money is on commission. And people can, can make, uh, retail salespeople can make in, in, in the six figures by building up a clientele. I know, you know a, a men's uh, suit salesman in Southern California, uh, another one in Washington, D.C., they have regular customers who are spending 35K, 50K with them a year. You get a few of those, you know, that's a, that's a pretty good business. And they've earned the trust of those customers. Now, I'm going to sell you, so if you're my customer, Darshan, I know you're your, your, your size, I know your style, I know what's in your closet. I know if you've gained weight or lost weight. I know, um, you, you know the, the uh, name of your, of your spouse or your children, uh, when their birthdays are, I know when your birthday is, I know when your wedding an anniversary is. And in the old days, in the, in the pre-technology, good salespeople would make phone calls. Now, now you send texts. Occasionally you're gonna use the phone. It's, I'm thinking of you. You know, this great uh, Armani suit came in. I think it would be perfect for you. And, that, you know, and, and today, I'll send you a picture of it, and you'll say yes or no. And, and if you say yes, I already have your credit card information. Uh, do you want me to send that to you? You, 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 you know, you're going to come in for to, to have it uh, altered. Uh, what's a good day to do that? You know, it's like any other sales thing. You know, we, we keep the thing moving. You know, you made a decision, you know, when, when, when can we, uh, you know, tie this all up? And, and then once you've, uh, uh, you've come in, the suit's been, uh, been uh, uh, altered, um, do you want me to send it to your home? Do you want me to send it to your office? Do you want me to send it to the closest Nordstrom nearest you? Your choice. I'm going to make it as easy as possible for you to buy this and to be happy about it. It's just making it easy for the customer to buy stuff. But going back to empowerment, it almost seems are they basically hiring people 
or training people to be their own entrepreneurs? I mean, it sounds you know really interesting. How do they instill this? Is it is it the recruiting process or the training process or both? Well, it, it, it is both, but part of it, I mean, it has to start with the recruiting process, explaining how the system is set up and explaining that uh, you are only limited by your own ambition. So if, if you want to, you know, be above average, you can be above average. If you want to be great, you can be great. We will give you all the tools that you need. We'll give you the best merchandise we have. We'll give you the best social media. We will follow up with any anything you need. Go. So, you know, for, uh, you know, now you, you have to hit your goals because uh, sales per hour is is one, one of the, the key metrics. Now, um, all everybody's sales per hour in their department is is listed in the in the stock room. So I know how much you're making, you know how much I'm making. And you know where we are on the list. And being at the bottom of that list is not a good place to be. Because ultimately if you are not selling, if you're if you're just breaking even, that's not doing either one of you any good. So Nordstrom will either give you a little more training if, if they see that you've got um, the aptitude for it, but maybe you're a little inexperienced. So training, uh, maybe they'll move you to a non-sales position because they like you and you, you're infused with the spirit, but you're just not a salesperson. Then the third alternate alternative is there's the door. So it's uh, so they're looking for those motivated self-starters. Uh, you know, you hear about motivational speakers. I've always had my 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 question. You know, if you need somebody else to motivate you, then yeah, you know, that's just not going to work because then you're going to have to call up that person every time you don't feel motivated. Motivate me. No, that, that has to come from inside, and those are the people that they're looking for. So, how do they maintain a healthy competition among people within a department as opposed to becoming cutthroat? That is a tough one because there are there are cutthroats in there. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. There are there are people who um, uh, you know there there are some people who Norton would encourage a, a brand new, relatively new um, salesperson to find a mentor. Look around once you, you you've been assigned to an apartment. Look look at the people somebody or some or people that you think are doing doing the kind of job or being the kind of employee that you would want to be. Now, some people are flattered. So, sure, I'd be happy to uh, mentor you. Other people said, nah, it's not my thing. Now, I'm doing my thing. You can figure out how to do your thing. Um, but you're, you're, you're rated or evaluated at Nordstrom on three criteria. One, of course, is customer service. Um, one, of course, is sales. But the other is teamwork. So if you are a, a, a shark and you're going to kind of grab everybody who comes into your, your department, even if you don't have time to wait on them, that's not going to fly because, uh, you know, you also need to have that team player element because sometimes I'm going to need uh, another person in my department. I might have a, 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 a difficult issue with a customer, perhaps 
They may have a physical ailment or they may have some sizing issues, whatever. But part of it is how, how are you helping out the other person in your department? Uh, now, Nordstrom is very competitive and they don't make any, any, any apologies. So uh, now the top salespeople are competing against themselves. So today, uh, you know, when we when we're doing this um, uh, interview, uh, say, so, well, today or a year ago on this date, I did X amount in sales. Now this year, or and two years ago on this date, I did a certain amount. Now this year, I want to outdo what I did last year. Um, but also, departments compete against each each other. Um, Stores compete against, Nordstrom stores compete against e each other. Um, and then, of course, they compete against uh, the, the uh, external um, competition as well. But it's, um, you know, will there be times when people have gone over the line and are cutthroat? Absolutely. You know, within a system like that, uh, it's inescapable. But the idea is, is to, if, if, if it's being abused, management will, will step in. How transferable is the Norsen way to other companies and organizations? Oh, I think it's completely transferable. Most of the groups I speak to are not in retail. And, you know, I've been doing this for over a quarter of a century. I could probably count the number of retailers, I don't know, 20 or 30. But I speak to a lot of people in financial services, in healthcare, in pharmaceuticals, um, almost any business you can imagine, language translation, um, uh, uh, wine, wine grape growing. I mean, it's, you know, the, the, the whole idea is you have a customer, and, and also I speak to companies that are, that are you know, uh, uh, B2C and, and, and B2B. And if you have a customer and a customer that has a need and you have either the product or the service to satisfy that need and I'm going to listen to what you have to say, I'm going to find the best fit for you, I'm going to follow up, I'm going to develop a relationship with you. If there's an issue, you're going to contact me and I'm going to take care of it. All those things. So there are many people uh, who uh, were, had summer jobs at, at Nordstrom who became lawyers, who became doctors, who became accountants. Um, but they, they take, and, and these are people not only have, that I've spoken to personally, but people who I, I know who have written uh, articles about it. There's a woman who wrote an article in Forbes several years ago who uh, is, a, is a partner at a major Seattle law firm. She had jobs at Nordstrom, and, and her article was what, what I learned uh, as a salesperson at Nordstrom and how that helped me uh, be a, a, a good lawyer. So all this is transferable. So what would you say are the essential elements of creating a values-driven service culture? Because that's what you're talking about, right? Right, right. Well, you can have the practices, the ways of doing business, technology, that all, that, that changes. That has to change. Strategies change. But values have to be consistent. They have to be non-negotiable. It's, uh, this is, because it, it represents who you are as a as a culture so that must never change you know there's an old uh, uh i'm a big fan of the of the marx brothers so 
in one of their movies, Groucho Marx says to this person he's uh, negotiating with, these are my principles. And if you don't like them, I have others. <laughs> so uh, at Nordstrom, these are the values. And if you don't like them, find some other place. So we're talking about you know, things that are so basic, you know, stuff that, that you were raised with. So we're talking about uh, trust and respect and loyalty, humility and awareness and communication and transformation and also having fun. You know, that's a, a, a part of it, too. So uh, when I when I give um, half day presentations, I will talk about these these various uh, values and, uh, you know, for you know, typical keynote time for about an hour or so, we take a break and then we the group will come back and we have I, I cover basically eight principles. So we count off one through eight. The ones go to this table, the twos go to that table, etc. Uh, then I asked them to brainstorm, how can you, this, this value apply to your company? And I've done this again, with every kind of business all over the world. Um, and it really comes down to, I, I've come away with two immutable truths. And when I hear people who are asked by their leadership, how can we, from your point of view, how can we make your job easier? What what tools can we give you to make things better? So again, so I've been I've been hearing people talk about it, and people are can be passionate about their own job because somebody has asked me my opinion. So the two immutable truths is most people want to do a good job, and the other is most people want to feel a part of something bigger than themselves. Yeah, bigger than and it's the responsibility of management to make sure that that's the case. You've stated that when it comes to singing the song of customer service, anyone can recite the words, but few can carry the tune. Right. And right. why? Why is that? Well, well, for, if everybody knows what what good customer service is supposed to sound like, oh, you know, we listen to our, our customers, and you know, we're there for them, and and all that. It's like at the end of every, not every, but uh, you know, uh, annual reports where at, you know, the CEO talks about all the other things. And then it, the, the last line is, of course, our biggest asset is our people. <laughs> how, many, how many times have you, have you, have you, have you read that one, right? Uh, of course, we're laying off 10% 10, 10 of our, our biggest assets, but you know, stuff happens. Yeah, uh, everybody knows the cliche. Cliches become cliches because they're true. And taking care of the customer, being customer focused. And, you know, a lot of times companies or trade groups, they, they kind of overshoot. They say, we want you to talk about cutting edge customer service or knock your socks off customer service. I said, why don't you talk about just good, solid customer service? And because it, it, it's not about the spectacular. And I've had people tell me uh, spectacular Nordstrom stories. This, is, this has been told to me many times by many, many uh, different men here in, in particular. They uh, 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 flew into a city, that they were, were going to have a big meeting at nine o'clock the next day and the airline lost their luggage. So they got this big meeting, they have no clothes to wear. 
And so they call Nordstrom and they, and they get a hold of uh, a guy in the men's suit department and they tell them, I need a suit, I need a shirt, I need a tie, I, I probably need shoes too. And they, you know, what are your, what's your size, what color are you looking for, et cetera, et cetera. And come, come to the store, we'll have it all for you. We'll have a tailor on, on hand uh, for when you need it. So they go there, they get outfitted, and they head to their meeting, and they feel like uh, uh, a million bucks. And uh, I've I probably heard that story 20 times over, over the course. A man will come up to me at the break, and he'll tell me that a version of uh, that story. So it's, you know, we're here for you when you need us. This is an emergency. It's not, oh, I'm sorry, you know, we're, we're closed. I mean, people will come in early. Um, they will go above and beyond the call of duty because that's a part of the culture. And it's singled out and it's rewarded. And it's, 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 it's made known that so-and-so did, did this particular outstanding act of customer service. So if you're an employee, so well, the people who run this place think that the, these these acts of customer service are a good idea. Well, I should do that too. See, Nordstrom uh, has an employee handbook, and I, I use employee handbook in quotes, which is just a three by three inch by five inch card, and. It essentially says, welcome to Nordstrom. We're glad to have you with our company. We hope you have a, a great career, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we're all about taking care of the customer. We have only one rule. You turn the, other, the card over the other side. It says, use good judgment in all situations. Use good judgment in all situations. There will be no additional rules. So... You can ask your department manager, store manager, any, any question at any time. That's it. Use good judgment. But what does good judgment look like? And so you, you tell stories of employees taking care of customers, going above and beyond. It's not like, you know, giving them free merchandise, giving them the store. You're taking care of them in their time of need. Now, anybody who's listening to this podcast if you said to your client, how can I make your life easier? Well, that's a, that's a, that's a great opening line. Hmm, I could, I, could, I could think of several ways you could make my life easier. So not only are they going to tell you, then it's up to you to follow those steps to make their life easier. So all these outstanding salespeople, they get other clients because they have other satisfied clients. You know, it's like, you know, uh, as I said, I, I speak to a lot of people in real estate. Real estate is a referral business. Uh, you know, you, you might not sell a house to, to the same person or maybe ten, 10 years down the road, but you're going to need their relatives and their friends and, and, and everything, you know, contact, you know, so-and-so. Uh, he sold my house and it was a great price and he, he, he took care of everything. You know, it's just taking care of the, of the customer. So, they, so why should they go to, work, to uh, do business with anybody else? Yeah. You know, what you're saying sounds absolute common sense and, you know, everyone should be doing it. But why do you think so many people still don't do this? I mean, not in just retail, but in many industries. Well, as someone once said... Uh, Common sense is not that common. Uh, <laughs> so, um, you know, 
to me, what happens, and needless to say, I've given this a, a lot of thought over the years because, you know, as a professional speaker and author, and I, I, I'm, I'm in front of crowds of very smart professional people, I'm telling them stuff that they already know, but they need to hear it from somebody else. And part of it is that management does not make that a priority. You know, they may say that it's a priority, but when it when it comes down to the reality of the of the business, it isn't a priority. Therefore, well, if management, if I'm uh, lower down the totem pole, if management doesn't think it's a priority, then I don't think it's a uh, uh, a, a priority. You know, and in in if, if you're a publicly traded company, you, you certainly have you know a, a little bit you know, uh, or in some cases, a lot more pressure. Because you have shareholders and you have to, um, you know, keep keep that that that, that value and in, increase that, that that value. So, quite often it's very short term. You know, so you know what can we do today, the next few, few days? So 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 this this quarter looks good, and um, uh, and the the fact that as I said, you know, Nordstrom has been a publicly is is a publicly traded company has been for over fifty years. Um, there are since there are still Nordstroms on the board, and the Nordstrom family has a considerable amount of of stock. I'm not saying that they have a leeway. I mean, they still have to deliver because they are a publicly traded company. They do have an outside chairman, uh, but they do take a long term view. So they've been so you know. So let's you know. We, we really have, haven't talked much about the the internet. So uh, Nordstrom, um, the Nordstrom store headquarters is less than a kilometer from the Amazon headquarters. So uh, Amazon uh, debuted its, its website in 1995. Uh, Nordstrom had its website in 1998. And unlike many other retailers back then in those early days of the internet, a lot of big retailers made their online business a completely separate entity. So Barnes & Noble, the big, uh, uh, or used to be a big bookstore chain in the, in the US, so they had their Barnes & Noble brick and mortar stores, and then they had a site called bn.com. Now, if I ordered a, a book on bn.com and I wanted to return it to a Barnes & Noble store, I couldn't do it. It's completely different. Everything was different. Same thing with Walmart. Walmart, it, it located in Arkansas in the southwest part of the, of the U.S., had their Internet operation on the East Coast in California, you know, a couple thousand miles away. But Nordstrom always integrated <clears throat> its business, its online business, with its brick-and-mortar business. And they've been doing it more and more and more. So, so salespeople today have a view of all inventory, wherever it is in the country, uh, whether it's from Nordstrom.com or, or the stores. Um, and it's so, so they've always embraced the technology. Uh, even though they're a, they're a legacy retailer, you know they, they they know that if if we aren't adapting to the reality, we're, we're not going to be around. So today, online or rather uh, brick and mortar sales for those people who are familiar with Nordstrom, uh, whether uh, they've been to stores in downtown Chicago or San Francisco or New York, but who uh, the, but those people who uh, go to uh, shopping centers 
where Nordstrom is an anchor. So they call those the full line stores. Those stores account for only a third of their business, only a third of their sales. Online is over 50%, five zero. And of course, COVID accelerated that, but that's where it was going anyway. And, um, uh, and Nordstrom says that they're channel agnostic, that there's not a, a brick and mortar customer, there's not an online customer, there's just a customer. And most people these days, sometimes shop online, sometimes go into the store. Um, so why should you treat them any, any differently? A customer is a customer is a customer. And um, so, so they're always looking to see, you know, the, now the technology is only valid if it improves the customer experience. It's not technology for technology's sake. It's not, you know, the, the bright, shiny new object. It's how does this make life easier for the customer? How does it save them time? How does it make it more convenient? And ultimately, how does that help us sell more stuff? So tell me about the new book you're working on. My new book, uh, and I don't have a, a, a date on, on it yet, and I'm working on it right now. It's going to be called The 120-Year-Old Startup, The Nordstrom Way to change challenges and customer service. So it looks at uh, a brief history. It, it's going to be much shorter than, my, uh, than my, my, my previous books. And it's built around, uh, the structure is built around the acronym of FACTS, F-A-C-T-S. So F is for flexibility, A is for agility, C is communication, T is transformation, S is social responsibility. So in this uh, COVID era, they've had to be flexible and agile. They've had to communicate not only with employees, but certainly with customers. The end result is transformation. And it's all covered now with the idea of social responsibility. And that covers a wide range of, of subjects from the environment to uh, uh, LGBTQ issues and everything in, in between. And, uh, and, and they're, they're making the, the commitment in all of these areas. And today, uh, young people are looking for employer, employers that, who stand for something. So they're looking, young people are looking for co companies that, that, that share their their feelings about the, the environment, about social issues, how they're treated, uh, uh, opportunities for, for advancement. So social responsibility is, kind of ties all this together to create a culture of, of people who um, are, are moving in the same direction for the particular company. Is there an area of the Nordstrom way that you're still looking to do a deeper dive? And what area is that and why? I think if I did a deeper dive on Nordstrom way, I would hit my head on the, on, on the, on the bottom of the ocean floor. <laughs> um, I made a pretty deep dive here, but so this, this book, the 120 year old startup is really going to be, uh, you know, my, 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 my valedictory of, you know, everything that I've, that, that I've learned and thought about. Um, I've interviewed three uh, members of three of the four generations of Nordstrom. I, I, uh, the, the founder, 
John W. Nordstrom uh, uh, died in 1963, but his last surviving son um, I interviewed in uh, October of 1992, and then I interviewed all the, I've interviewed all the members of the third and fourth generations. I have a unique uh, view on this, and you know, Nordstrom never bores me. I mean, you would think after all these years, you'd say, well, you know, move on to something else. And I've certainly written about other things. And if you want to talk a, a, a touch about my book on, on Amazon, I'd be, I'd be happy to. But because it's constantly changing um, and dollar for dollar, it's one of the greatest business stories in the history of American business. You will never see it's like again. And I'm, I'm happy that I've, I've had the opportunity to uh, chronicle it, and um, yeah, they're they're going to be around uh, for a, a whole lot longer. That sounds great. So, in the world of values-driven service culture, who would you love to have lunch with, and why? Well, uh, I'd certainly like to have lunch with Warren Buffett. Uh, you know, I think that'd be interesting. Um, I'd like to have uh, certainly lunch with uh, Jeff Bezos now. Uh, I, I interviewed him uh, uh, for a project that was not associated with the book that I ultimately wrote. Um, how it, 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 Amazon, in fact, didn't um, chose not to cooperate with me when that when that book came out because they felt it was it was too early. But um, I was able to explain how Amazon became Amazon. I interviewed five of the first six em employees and uh, some of Jeff's former employers, his former girlfriends. And, and such. And so that book came out in April of 2000. In October of 2000, uh, uh, both Jeff Bezos and I were speaking in Stockholm, uh, along with uh, Nicholas Negroponte and, uh, uh, and Philip Kotler. So I knew where Jeff was going to be. It was a one day thing. I knew where he was going to be before he went out on stage. Uh, I went over to him, reintroduced myself, and he said, uh, I read your book. I thought you did a good job. So uh, that was 22 years ago. I'd like to ca catch up with him now and uh, say, so Jeff, what, what, are you, what are you up to here? Because uh, <laughs> he, he is a visionary. And, um, and, but, you know, when, when, I, when I was writing that book and people were in the throes of the Internet, people were saying, well, we're not going to need any more brick and mortar stores. Everybody's going to be ordering online in their pajamas in the middle of the night. And I knew that was patently absurd because we're all social animals. We need to be in the marketplace. We need to be in the agora because uh, there's more to this than just the exchange of money for goods and services. It's the it's the social aspect of it. So Amazon has opened stores. They've got they got lots of stores. They bought whole, the Whole Foods supermarket chain. They've got bookstores. Uh, they're adding uh, clothing stores. Um, Companies like Warby Parker, the eyeglass uh, firm, which started as a pure play online company. They have 100 stores now or is, is something close to that. And I was at a uh, uh, an event where I spoke uh, and I, I met the head, one of the heads of retail at Warby Parker uh, when they were just started opening stores. And he said, it's amazing how much you can learn when you talk to the customer. And it was, duh, <laughs> uh, of course, uh, because they're right there. They, they've actually 
driven to the spot. They parked their car. They walked over to your store. Uh, <laughs> so they're already motivated. And, um, and so what, what do they have to say? I mean, that's valuable. I mean, it's easier than, you know, sending a, a Internet, you know, a, 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 you know, a, a Internet survey and saying, uh, could you take the next 10 minutes to answer all of our questions? And you could be eligible to uh, win a, you know, a $20 gift certificate. Um, no, it's, um, uh, you know, and, and you know, it, when Amazon is, Amazon was, was built on customer service. You know, Jeff, Jeff Bezos said that we, we want to be the most customer centric company on the planet. And, you know, I've often talked about and I occasionally give presentations uh, that Seattle is the customer service capital of the United States. And so in addition to Nordstrom we, and Amazon, there's Starbucks, there's Costco, um, there's REI, Recreational Equipment Inc. There's the Pike Place Fish Market people who made a whole industry out of that. And there's uh, the rock band Pearl Jam which is very fan focused. And um, in fact, they tried to, several years ago, they tried to take on the big ticket selling uh, company uh, because they, they felt their, their fans were being overcharged. And they saw how complex it is to sell tickets to venues and everything else like that. But, but, but their heart was in the right place. I think you're right. I think there is something special about the Pacific Northwest. And so, uh, I really enjoyed talking to you today and learning more about Nordstrom's and I'm looking forward to seeing your new book that's coming out as well. And I look forward to continuing our conversation and perhaps doing another episode on some of your other books, including the Amazon book. So I want to thank you very much, Robert. Well, thank you, Darshan. I really appreciate it. Getting to AHA was brought to you by iResearch. To find out more about us, head to iResearch.com and make sure to search for Getting to AHA in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else podcasts are found. And don't forget to click follow to ensure you don't miss any future episodes. Thank you for listening.